you know, we've talked about this over the past couple of days, and I think we've covered the nuts and bolts of the Liberal NDP agreement uh, pretty well since the start of the week. Um, it is completely democratic, totally legitimate. It's an arrangement that's seen, you know, quite regularly in, you know, parliamentary setups outside of our country, or at least outside the federal level, because it's happened provincially in Canada. So, um, you know, it's it's not completely out of the ordinary, especially in other parts of the world where it happens all the time. Um, this one is meant to run until 2025, or until one or the other party decides to change their minds. Uh, it's meant to see the NDP government protecting the minority liberals from confidence votes in exchange for some policy, policy wins. You've got it by now. But, uh, as I've always said on this show, if Politicians are doing things. There's politics involved. That's the way that it works. That's the job, always. And now uh, we're seeing different analysts give us their breakdown of the situation. So we're going to chat now with Dr. Lori Turnbull, who is the director and an associate professor at the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Uh, Dr. Turnbull, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, in the piece you put together on this um whatever you want to call it, agreement. Uh, you contend this is pure <laughs> politics, right? In fact, it's it's really just a consummation of a partnership that's been around for quite a while, actually. Yeah, like, I mean, it, as you say, this is completely legitimate. This is an absolutely fine thing to do, and parties are free to do it. And But, I mean, to be honest, like, it doesn't seem to me that the agreement itself is necessarily a major causal variable of cooperation, right? They're kind of cementing the things that they have been doing and the things that they will do together. And as you said, like there's nothing that stops either one from deciding that they don't want to do this anymore. If it doesn't, if it's not working out the way they wanted. So like I said, like, you know, I mean, they've basically operated like this through the last minority parliament. Now they've just gone and made it official. Why, why do they want to come out and sort of solidify the agreement, make, make this an official statement with press conferences and all the rest. What does Trudeau get for, you know, sort of consummating this relationship? Yikes. <laughs> so I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, one thing I think is what, what you just said, like it's, it's the PR, it's the media attention, it's the, the, the press conferences, like it kind of had the effect of seizing up the day in Ottawa, right, where all media were focused on this. And so it's sort of a channel changer, which I think the prime minister could be forgiven for wanting, right, because his popularity on a personal level really took a hit over his handling of the trucker convoy, for example. And so this is an opportunity for him to put himself in a different light. He's going into a budget season. He's going to want to be doing some big, expensive things. And so, you know, it's, it's some political shot in the arm to sort of have the NDP support on paper yeah. and to say, you know, regardless of what happens, here are the things that we've committed to do for you. It puts a lot of pressure on the NDP to stick with it, given the, the meaning of the items that are on the table here. I think it jams the NDP more than it jams the government. But... There we go. What about the fact that we're hearing a lot of concern about this from some corners that this will, um, you know, I had Matt Jenneru, a conservative MP on this week, and he's saying, my big concern here is when it comes to committees and oversight and yeah. holding the government to account, that's what I'm really worried about. 100%. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, we hear some noise about this is a coalition and Jagmeet Singh is the deputy prime minister, and that's not true. Like, none of that's yeah, true. Right. But there's reason to be concerned about whether committees are going to function the way we need them to function and whether this is going to be taken as a signal that the leadership of the liberals and the NDP have basically shaken hands on these, on these things, all of which cost a lot of money, all of many of which are in provincial jurisdiction. And, you know, there's a sense that this is a done deal now and it's the implementation, the rollout that's, that's waiting, but essentially does it kind of hamstring the parliament parliament in terms of holding the government to account if the leadership has already decided that this is going to go through? 
Um, what about the NDP? What do they get out of this? I mean, I, I guess it advances some of their policy positions that would never get advanced any other way, right? Is it that simple for them? I mean, like, I think they can certainly hold up a sense that the government may not have moved on some of these things without them. So there are some some of these things that, that like climate change, health care, reconciliation, the affordability slash cost of living piece, like those issues are things that you can look back at the two parties platforms and say, you guys agreed on all this, right, very closely. And yeah. these are things that you all had as, as priorities. The dental care piece is something that the NDP can hold up and say they wouldn't have done this without us. Now, again, does that mean that you have to have a confidence and supply agreement? Of course not. They could have done all this without that. But I think the NDP will try to say, listen, we, we finally got the prime minister to agree on things that matter to Canadians. And so they're going to hold this up as a track record and say the NDP has value in Parliament. The NDP has value as a, as a kind of partner to the government. And so I think that's probably how they'll try to sell it. Um so, you know, we have the Conservatives, and as, as you know, we talked about uh, their position on some of this, obviously they're not happy with because, you know, now they're yeah. even more in the... What does it mean for them, and specifically two areas, but first, the leadership race. I think the plan was you get elected leader and you head into an election, which we all anticipated probably sometime next year, given what we know about minority parliaments. Um, now we're talking 2025. How does that change the leadership race for the Conservative Party? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question, and I kind of think it depends on who wins. I mean, at the outset, I think the message that comes from this agreement is that the two parties have agreed that there will be no early election as long as the key factors here are met. And that takes us to 2025. And so if we see the agreement in place for that long, it means the prime minister is in that chair for at least 10 years. It means that the possibility of taking uh, that chair away from him on the part of the Conservatives is out of the question until 2025. Yeah. And so it gives a kind of takes the wind out of the sails. Now, it depends who wins. If Polyev wins, he hits the ground running because he's already there. If Sheree wins or Patrick Brown wins, they don't have a seat yet. Ah, yes. So they've got, a, you know, they've got work to do to figure out, how am I getting in the House? We need somebody to step aside. We need something to happen. Then we need the prime minister call an election. He's not going to be terribly you know, <laughs> killing himself to run to the, you know, elections candidate to call the by-election. And so it, it really has the effect of kind of dragging it out and, and, you know, stretching out the momentum. If somebody like Sheree wins, you know, he's going to be an issue for the prime minister to deal with in, in Quebec and in Ontario and in Atlantic Canada, too, where I think his, the red Toryism would actually pay, play pretty well. For, do, does this make it to 2025? I mean, I guess, I guess that's the plan. Yeah. Uh, how likely do you think it is that it will, though? Well, I mean, I think these things are, like, even in British Columbia, where they had one in 2017, and it really was to bring some um, stability to a situation that was pretty precarious, given the numbers. And even that didn't last the full four years. It lasted three, which everybody kind of thought, yeah, that's that's a good enough nod, I think, to the spirit of the agreement. Whether this goes to 2025, I think, probably has to do with whether the prime minister wants to stick around that long. Yeah. Whether um, there's somebody in his camp who's sort of saying, hey, look, I'd like to have a try at this. And, the, and that's going to be, you know, a decision that they make internally. But I think, you know, he, there's something about Trudeau. It's like there's, a, you know, people tiptoe around him. He's not like other leaders, whereas it would be totally normal, I think, for other political parties to be saying, OK, who's next? What are we doing? Well, you know, when are we going to do this transition? But there's a bit of a of a kind of a special aura around Trudeau where they're not doing that in the same ways that we might think. And so maybe this is going to be a way for him to stay in that position until 2025 and then see what happens. But I mean... Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? That's that's the bottom line. Yeah, nobody knows. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Dr. Turbo, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. 
anytime. It's really fun. Yeah, good discussion. Thank you. Dr. Lori Turnbull, who is Director and Associate Professor at the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. And yeah, who knows? Who knows if this thing will actually hold up until 2025 or will somebody decide that they don't want to do it anymore? We'll see. We'll see. Um, but, I mean, she's right. When you talk about the reasons that it's being done, they're, used, they're all looking at it from, okay, what can I get out of this? What does this mean for me? And that's what the decision is being made on. You know, Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.